Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm Jess. And I'm overcaffeinated. I mean, I'm Regan. <laughs> and this is You Pick, We Watch, the podcast where you pick the movie and we take a deep dive into it, learning everything we can about your recommendation. Today, we're talking about the 2003 film Big Fish. Yep. It's been a little bit since I watched it, so I'm glad I wrote all my stuff down, like, right after. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, what is going on with you did you have a good thanksgiving i did yeah it was uh it was a small two-person thanksgiving with me and my wife and we got like little bottles of sparkling cider and like two cornish hens instead of a turkey so like real dinky chickens it was (laughs) nice good yeah we went over to uh d's mom who we like go shopping for anyway so uh that's just what we did is a uh, pretty low key so it was nice nice that um, sounds nice yeah in other news it's my birthday tomorrow so oh happy early birthday happy birthday to me in other other news wonder woman 1984 is going to open in theaters but as we know people in new york can't go to movies uh so they are also opening it on HBO Max for one month, free for people who already subscribe. Oh, I didn't know it was for free. That's, well, that makes sense now that I think about it. But yeah, no, that's it, cool. It doesn't always make sense, though, because I paid $30 for Mulan on Disney Plus, even though I already subscribed to Disney Plus. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> um. But no, it should be, uh, it should be free. I think they said for one month, and then they're gonna take it off HBO Max. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty excited because that's really one I wanted to see. So I feel like HBO Max is making a lot of really smart choices in like getting other people's content onto their streaming service. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh-huh. what uh, Netflix doesn't have movies that uh like just premiere on there uh no they do more television shows that are specific to them i think um every once in a while and they do a lot of comedy yeah um they've been ramping up their own original movies lately too yeah um yeah because adam sandler had like an eight movie deal with them Yeah, I feel like after um, after Sony had that hack and like all those emails got released about how they like pretty much hate Adam Sandler's movies, Netflix was like just holding out their arms, like here, come to us, make yeah. as many movies as you want. Yeah, and they do really well. So yeah, I mean, but this again goes into like what we talked about last week with movies going straight to a streaming service. Yeah. So, uh it'll be interesting in the next like year to see what happens. So I just found out that um David Fincher's new movie Mank, um it's about like the creation of Orson Welles' uh, Citizen Kane. That is premiering like that's a Netflix original movie that's coming in December. Awesome. 
Yeah. You like you Citizen Kane is like high on your list, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's one of those things where the story is pretty good, but all the technical stuff that goes into it is excellent. Yeah. Um and I just watched I told you about this, the Spielberg documentary from 2017 that's on HBO. And that was amazing to see like where he came from and what he started with. And his like first three movies made a billion dollars. <laughs> like how crazy is that? It's nice when you start with a leg up right out of the gate. But yeah. The expectations too high for the rest of your career. So it it might. If you're not Spielberg, it might. He's the he's one of the only directors I can think of that routinely just knocks it out of the park whenever he releases a new movie. Yeah. Um, I was trying to think, I was like, well, George Lucas is pretty popular, but I really only know George Lucas for Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, I know he and Spielberg both, like, worked on Indiana Jones in some capacity. He didn't direct it, but I think he helped, like, produce and do some creative stuff for it. But yeah, aside from Star Wars and, I think, American Graffiti, I don't really know anything else that he's done. I know, and isn't that crazy? Just... (laughs) You know, six movies, only three of which really count. <laughs> and he's like, everybody knows who that is. It's nuts. Forever. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so let's get into our our movie, which oh, it, it was pretty good, in my opinion. Um, but this is what I have for our, our get to know you question. Um, both you and I have written books so we are in a sense storytellers uh which is what this movie is basically about did you relate more to the dad in this movie or the son because i spent most of the movie being irrationally angry at the son not wanting to listen to the stories his father was telling so i related to the son (laughs) being irrationally angry at how like crazy and trippy the stories were (laughs) (laughs) like you know in the in the movie they are like tall tales that he's telling but like i don't know part of me is just like can can you just say what you found when you walk through the woods instead of making the trip feel like jason and the argonauts (laughs) see i i'm the opposite i enjoy listening to the story like i've heard the same I'm just like this, the son, like I've heard the same, like 10 stories from my mom growing up, like just her crazy shenanigans. And I don't know. I don't care. I don't know if they're embellished. I can't like nobody knows, but I don't know. I, I enjoy that. And maybe it's because my dad never really told any stories of like his military time. Mm-hmm. But my grandfather would tell stories of being in Korea and like I, I loved it. It was just I don't know. I had, I felt I felt for the dad the whole movie. Yeah, I do like that. That's a big part of the movie is how parents sort of inadvertently or on purpose kind of are able to create their own mythology for their kids. Essentially, you know these legendary stories that you know your dad told about Korea or my dad told about Vietnam or growing up in the 60s and 70s or something it's like it's 
is really cool and i always like listening to those stories i think it was just like the fantastical element of like how out there right. but not really these stories were that was just kind of rubbing me the wrong way right um so the overview for this movie is a frustrated son tries to determine the fact the fact from fiction in his dying father's life so and that's pretty much the whole journey that he's on and the father just wants to be able to tell his stories so what yeah what was your initial reaction <laughs> um a little frustration at the more surreal aspects of the the stories but um it's still interesting it's funny because the uh the dude he completely or i'm sorry consistently one-ups in high school like i just remember when he discovers that he's like engaged to the woman that he loves he's just like oh she's with that jerk or something like that i'm like listen you've been dunking on this guy for like decades i'm pretty sure you're the villain in this story <laughs> it's true that is true i did feel bad for that guy and i didn't put two and two together that it was the older brother from when they went to see the witch in the like to see how they die and stuff um, mm -hmm. I didn't put two and two together until that moment in the movie. I was like, oh, that's <laughs> why he's so upset and everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love me some Ewan McGregor all the time. Everything, almost everything I've seen him in, I adore. Uh, he's multi-talented. His accents are spot on. And he, he has a dreamy smile. And that's coming from me. <laughs> well i'm i was just gonna say he's like a contagiously likable dude you know like everything i see him in he's just even when he's like the bad guy he's so mm -hmm. likable um i spent most of the time really enjoying his parts in it but every time like i said every time the sun came on i was frustrated <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing about the son i don't know him from too many movies but i know who he is you know like i can pick him out in like a a list of cast members and for some reason i don't know what it is maybe it's his face i just don't like him that much yep, i felt the exact same way um and until the end when the son like finally learns his lesson when it's too late mm. i was like well you deserve that you know <laughs> um, you know what's weird about that moment is for most of the movie again it's like i did kind of enjoy the ride but i was kind of frustrated because i was oscillating between like the feeling of can something just happen and then like okay this is a little too weird for me and then like as it got to that moment where he's like having to tell his dad a story in the hospital that made me cry for some reason like out of Dude. nowhere i was just like tearing up i'm like what's wrong with I was... me i didn't feel anything like this for most of this movie i was the same way i was like <laughs> what why why am i having these emotions right now it was like it just like hit me it hit me in the gut so hard yeah. And it's like, I think to me it was, well, it was too late, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I also felt that this wasn't as Tim Burton y as most of his Tim, as most Tim Burton movies. 
but oh no this is the least tim burton yeah um but you can definitely see his the use of like his camera angles um the practical effects the shadows darkness versus the light like the cinematographer did a great job in this movie oh yeah um yeah there's a lot of technical things about this movie that i really enjoyed yeah uh, so yeah, let's move on to the cast. We won't go through the whole thing. We'll just hit the the big boys here. Um, the big yeah. fish. <laughs> but um. But um. <laughs> so we we already have Ewan McGregor plays young Ed Bloom. We've talked about. Um, Albert Finney plays senior Ed Bloom, but I don't really know him from things. Yeah, I. <sighs> I don't think I know him from anything either. Yeah, but he was pretty good. Like he definitely played the the father well. Um, Billy Kudrup, which is who we say like you know who he is, but you don't know who he is, plays uh, Will Bloom, the son. And seeing Jessica Lang, like I love Jessica Lang. She is like so good in everything she does, and. That moment where she just gets in the bathtub with him, I was like, "Oh, I mm-hmm. love this." <laughs> yeah, she. It's funny because I haven't really seen her in a lot of things, but that's kind of changing recently as I'm watching like more movies I haven't gotten around to. And every time I see her, she's great. Yeah, um, Helena Bonham Carter, obviously, um, is mm-hmm. the only one that plays young Jenny and senior Jenny and the witch. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. um she's amazing too and everything she does she just has that weirdness about her so yeah absolutely um i felt kind of bad for her too you know like she was clearly in love with uh ed and that just never happened but she also didn't like try to steal him well she not really try i guess he stopped it but yeah yeah and that's that's just that sucks she was a very tragic character yeah um matthew mcgory and i only bring him up just because i want to talk about the can't what they did for him so matthew mcgory played carl the giant who in real life i think was like seven six seven eight something like that yeah but in this movie they used camera angles to make him like 10 feet plus and i thought that was so cool that it wasn't like a cgi trick it wasn't anything like that that technical they just did different camera angles to make it work yeah i i also like it when they do that they um for the original lord of the rings movies did a lot of that to make the hobbits look really small yeah which worked out better because you can usually tell when there's cgi making someone look small but when it's camera angles it it looks very natural yeah and or like when they do the small um john leguizamo in moulin rouge actually played that part on his knees and they green screened uh the back of his legs out but he's on his knees like the whole time he's walking and like doing everything. It's just hmm. pretty cool. So, um, 
And the last one that I want to talk about, and I was so surprised when he showed up, is uh, Steve Buscemi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect him or um, Marianne Cotillard, the, the French wife, yeah. in that. Yeah, especially, especially so, well, not really late in the movie, but, you know, Steve Buscemi was a, a pleasant surprise. He is, and I love him, but he is the ugliest man in Hollywood. <laughs> he's up there yeah he's he's up there i but there's just something so enjoyable about him there, whether he's being like evil or nice he's just like i don't know likable i feel like he's real like he's just a real guy you know and no matter what he plays i feel like he brings a part of himself into it so it's like yeah yeah i don't know i love him so <laughs> Um, that's all I have for the cast. Was there any other cast you wanted to talk about? Not really. Um, I do know that this movie was nominated for an Oscar. You want to tell us a little more about that? Yeah. Uh, of course, who works with Tim Burton other than Danny Elfman? (laughs) So, um, Danny Elfman was nominated for best music original score in, uh, for this. Now, the thing is, they actually had four nominations in the Golden Globes. And the Golden Globes are usually a precursor to the the Oscars. Whoever usually wins that stuff uh, usually will go on to either be nominated or win in the Oscars. You can like you can see trends and stuff usually. And that's Mm -hmm. what a lot of people go for. But it was shunned from the Oscars in two categories that they were nominated in, in the Golden Globes. They actually were nominated for Best Motion Picture, Comedy, or Musical um, for the Golden Globes. And that's where it gets tricky because comedies and musicals usually don't get nominated for Oscars. But for some reason, like, Chicago blew the Oscars away. So, it's weird. It's hmm. a weird thing. Um, so they missed out on a best picture category. And then you have best performance by an actor in a supporting role, uh, which was Albert Finney, um, which I could definitely see. I think he, he did a great job. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, the other thing that happened is Lord of the Rings won 10 Oscars that year. Yep. Um, every category it was nominated in, it won. So you have uh, Lord of the Rings winning Best Picture. Like it wasn't nominated for any like actor or actress categories, but like every technical aspect, every sound aspect, like it won. So nothing really had any chance that year. Um, but you also had Lost in Translation that came out, Master and Commander, Mystic River, and Sea Biscuit. And that's rough because, like, some of those I've seen, and they're really good movies. It's just when you release a movie in the same year that, like, a juggernaut like comes out, like um, Avatar or Titanic or something that you know is just going to sweep the Oscars. It sucks because, I mean, you most of the time they deserve the awards that they get, but 
you know, if they hadn't come out that same year, a movie, another movie that you really like might have, you know, taken an Oscar home or something. Yeah. Um, be a quick side note, because I won't go into it, because I'll go into it later, but the Lord of the Rings Two Towers was still number one in January of 2004, and Return of the King came out in December. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's one of my favorite movies for good reason. It's crazy. So, um, go ahead with your stuff next because I have to relook up stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I thought it was. I thought they did a really good job casting in this movie because uh, Ewan McGregor as young Ed Bloom looks strikingly similar to. Albert Finney, who plays the senior Ed Bloom in that. Um, and that's that's not the only great casting they did for this movie because also the actress who did uh, young Jessica Lane actually looked they either they made her look very similar to Lang or she just naturally looks that way. Either way, I thought they did a really good job with that. Yeah, the casting was spot on on this. And uh, speaking of casting, uh, Marion Cotillard is actually a big Tim Burton fan, and she apparently slept with the film script under a pillow for like a month until she got the part. Which, I think that's funny. Is... <laughs> yeah, and surprisingly, this was also her first American feature film, too. That's cool. I wonder if she did it for any other movies. Like, she got it, she got it, and she, like, she became superstitious or anything, because I would have. <laughs> exactly that's how human brains work you know it's like when you uh <laughs> when one shoe's untied and one's not and then all of a sudden the bills go to the super bowl you're like wait a second <laughs> i've been doing this for at least three games in a row now i'm the reason they're doing so well exactly um so there's a part when they get to the circus um and there's a song that comes on and it's and I'm not I'm not gonna do it justice if I do it, but it's like that's on okay. Yeah. Two two years earlier, the same part of that song was used uh in Moulin Rouge when they made a an original song about what the play or musical within the movie was gonna be. And that was also starring Ewan McGregor. Huh. And I like as soon as that song came on, I was like, "Hey, that was used in Moulin Rouge." <laughs> so, I just thought that was cool. That was something I came up with. That's not something I read. Oh, that is cool. Um, but going along with the singing, uh, when young Edward Bloom is singing in church and his voice breaks, that single note is actually Ewan McGregor singing. But he does yeah. a much better job <laughs> in Moulin Rouge. <laughs> it's funny because as soon as that moment happened i was like is that is that really his voice and then i read that fact like literally 30 seconds after <laughs> <laughs> you know um when young ed becomes a traveling salesman selling hands with metal tools as fingers um burton knew that 
uh, people might draw connections between Edward Scissorhands and that. So he purposely made it a point to not include scissors in like any part of the movie. <laughs> that's so funny. I mean, that's like the one thing that thing was that hand was missing too. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, three years. Uh, is a prominent amount of time that appears in the film on multiple occasions. So uh, when Will and his father stop talking, that takes place for three years. Ed mentioned that he had to stay in bed for three years. Um, He worked at the circus for three years. And then he mentioned he was in the army for three years. So I thought that was... I don't know what the meaning behind it is, but pretty nifty. I noticed that and again I couldn't get I couldn't derive like any particular meaning from that but I just kind of chalked it up to like three's a common motif in like legendary stories or myths kind of so being being, this is a based on a book by the same it's like Big Fish the let's see there's more to the name Big Fish novel it's called big fish a novel of mythic proportions and so i think that's kind of what they were going for is like a kind of a a very grand tale that had kind not features but like motifs and recurring elements from like other mythologies and stuff that's cool i i didn't realize three was I mean, I know like the rule of three, mm-hmm. but that's about that's where my knowledge of three ends. <laughs> I think I remember three being s- sort of meaningful in uh, Macbeth, uh, Shakespeare's play, because there's like three witches, and then there's like three of something else. And I read that in like eleventh grade, so that's like the only thing I can remember. But yeah, I think I read that in eleventh grade too. But I couldn't understand anything, so my book had like translations to like normal English in it. So, <laughs> yeah, our fortunately, my teacher would like read it to us and then translate it. So, oh, it was yeah, that perfect. didn't happen with me. <laughs> um, you mentioned Spielberg earlier. So it turns out he was originally attached to direct this and wanted Jack Nicholson to star in it, but dropped it due to his schedule. And uh, mainly it was to direct Catch Me If You Can. Oh, uh, yeah. And apparently, I, can't, I, I couldn't believe Catch Me If You Can came out that long ago. It doesn't seem like it's old, but once you see Babyface Leo, you're like, okay, yeah, this <laughs> some time has gone by. Yeah, and Leo doesn't age, so. Yeah, he just, like, he doesn't age. He just, like, goes from beardy to not beardy every <laughs> once in a while. That's about Unless it. Unless you catch him out on a boat with one of his supermodels, then you're like, oh, Leo, you've aged. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all about what you compare it to. Yep. <laughs> Which is funny, because uh, I feel like Will Smith will keep looking this way until he dies. Agreed. In a, in a thousand years. Definitely agreed on that. So, um, going back to Carl McGorry, uh, I mean, Matthew McGorry, Carl the Giant. <laughs> uh, when they're at the circus, that the um, 
Colossus is played by a guy named George MacArthur, who is 7'3 in real life. And McGory was uh, 7'6. And you can just see, like, the camera angles and the platforms that were used to exaggerate his height. And the poor, the Colossus guy. He just (laughs) looks so sad after. Mm Mm-hmm. It's... (laughs) It's uh, <laughs> I felt bad for him because it's like his whole job is being big. And then as soon as a bigger guy comes into town, well, out of a job. Yep. Um, the costume department actually made McGorry's shoes out of luggage, um, which is kind of cool. And he appreciated it. And while he was alive, he died at age 34, 32 or 34, I think. Um, of natural causes because you can't live long when you're that big um he held the world record for the largest feet size 29 and a half damn u.s u.s size yeah those (laughs) as my grandma would say won't blow over in a wind in a windstorm (laughs) yeah it's it's funny um just thinking about like the whole tallest man in the world thing because i remember seeing in a book um there was a black and white picture in the 1800s of like the tallest man in the world. And this dude looked absolutely gigantic. I mean, like it had someone next to him for scale and he was like three times the size of a normal person. And then in a footnote, it said that to exaggerate his size, the person they brought in for scale was the shortest man in the world. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. That's a misleading. Exactly. <laughs> but it's all about that uh, perspective, you know? Yeah. Um, so one of my favorite parts, and it's because we talked about it, I think last week or the week before, because you said something about wanting to play the banjo or <laughs> something. And the guy who, when you walk in, when they walk into Spectre, is Billy Redden, and he's playing (laughs) (laughs) and I just laughed because we were talking about Deliverance or Banjo or something on a previous episode and that guy is actually uh, Lonnie from Deliverance who played it. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's funny how sometimes you see something in a movie and you're just like oh dude playing a banjo fair enough and it's so much more than that like i never yeah. really put that together i i love that i thought it was just a really awesome because that was not that was probably for like the adults that took their kid to see this movie <laughs> yeah yeah i'd buy that giving them flashbacks of deliverance yep um some oh actually speaking of the town of specter um the zip code for that fictional town is on the deed to jenny's house uh it turns out that's a real zip code um and if you google the town of specter with that zip code you can actually see the private island where the set was and is now abandoned i think that would be a really cool like ghost adventure Oh, definitely. So, um, also, what do you think Spectre was? <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, it's like it's one of those things where you, you see something in a movie and you're like, I bet that means something. But for the life of me, I couldn't tell you. 
Yeah. Like, I spent the first little bit, like, the first time he went there, I was like, is this, like, a, like, purgatory <laughs> type thing? Uh, or what? No, but I was I right know. there with you. They they knew who he was and knew that he was going to be there, but he was early. And especially after going through that haunted ass trail through the woods there, it's like it definitely felt like a Greek myth in some way of like you ah, I don't even know, but yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> um you know, oh, actually, did you notice that Tim Burton has a cameo in this movie? I did not. <laughs> I'll tell you why you didn't. <laughs> I, I really I really didn't. Well, so. <laughs> no one would notice because he's in clown makeup in like a clown costume. But as soon as the wolf jumps out of Danny DeVito's trailer and like tackles even McGregor, you see like three clowns that were just like sitting around a table like smoking or something. They like two of them just take off and one of them was Tim Burton. <laughs> That's awesome. I also didn't get that part. Like, why make him a werewolf? Yeah. <laughs> why did they do anything in this movie? <laughs> I was very confused. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, also, am I alone in the fact that since the trailer was rocking around, I thought Danny DeVito was like totally banging someone in there? Like, as that part of the movie, yeah. I was like, oh, this is, you're not going to want to walk in on that. I was thinking the exact same thing when it happened. I was like, why would you go there? The trailer's <laughs> rocking. Like <laughs> So um the twins, Ping and Jing, are actually real twins, but they are not conjoined. Um, as we see later in the movie. Um, but for the movie, for the parts where they were, uh, they were attached at the hip and the waist with a metal corset like contraption to fit into the custom dress that they used for the performance however they did not do their own singing um and when their legs needed to appear they digitally removed two of them Hmm. so i thought that was kind of cool because you still get them like walking together like i picked how they walked is how i would picture somebody that was conjoined Mm -hmm. walk when they only had two legs and i thought that how they did that was really yeah that was i'd say really well done and i just kind of thought right now that i'm realizing of all the stuff i've seen and all the cgi i've seen i feel like it looks better or like consistently better when cgi removes details from a scene as opposed to like add adding details do you feel the same way yes yeah absolutely because you can't because this is a special, especially in this time, like the late 90s to probably even like the first Avengers movie. Because let's be, let's be real here. The first Avengers movie has terrible <laughs> CGI. You get this weird, like fake, I don't know. And it obviously it's fake, but it like takes you out of the movie. Like um, I was watching another documentary last night called Skin. And it chronicles the um, it chronicles nudity in movies and where it started, what it went to, and how like different rights and stuff came along and to protect 
everybody. Um, and they were talking about Kristana Loken was on there and she was talking about Terminator 3. And they were showing clips from Terminator 3, like the fight scenes. And I was like, oh my God, that hmm. looks awful. So, like during that time, especially to take something out, you didn't have to worry about seeing the weird, like, computer image almost. I guess that's the best way I can describe it is that it looked more computery than. Human. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think if you're adding stuff to a scene digitally, I feel like the one thing that happens so often is like you don't match the lighting on set to what you're cgi-ing so it's like usually computerized stuff is like lighter than the physical stuff around them which always kind of takes me out of it yeah and i think the one thing that has gotten that correct lately is Mandalorian. oh yes like they have revolutionized cgi and computer imagery absolutely that last episode oh man Oh, Don't I haven't oh, watched man. it? I haven't watched it yet. Oh. I'm watching it tonight. Watch it I'm watching this. it tonight. And then also tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I gotta wait. I gotta wait for a D, so <laughs> speaking um, of uh when they're in Korea, so this is just like an interesting detail that kind of relates more to like the spirit of the movie, I guess. So it's, it's like when the puppeteers on stage you know, as young Edward's, like, uh, parachuting down. The ventriloquist and his puppet are speaking, uh, like, uh, the language of the Philippines. And then the Siamese twins and Edward, when they're talking, they're speaking Cantonese, which is a Chinese dialect. And then the soldiers who pull the ventriloquist off stage speak Mandarin Chinese. And the all the rest of the soldiers speak Korean. So I feel like that was just fun little like chaos to add to the scene. Like, cause when I saw it, I couldn't even tell that they were speaking different languages, you know, like I don't really have an ear for yeah. Eastern languages like that, but it's just, that's kind of like the spirit of the movie is like, Hey, half this doesn't make sense. You know, what's, what's the point of, <laughs> of trying too hard to to like nail it's not like they didn't try to nail that detail i just feel like they were having fun i guess yeah i didn't notice there was anything different between the way he was talking they were talking and i don't know if that's (laughs) inappropriate for me not to know or (laughs) it's just how Mm. it is so um but yeah it was it was cool it was so like it was so Korean, like North Korean, though. Oh. Like, it's oh, just that yeah. whole puppet show, you know? Like, don't laugh. Don't make any, like, facial expressions. <laughs> if you leave to go to the bathroom, so, you'll be shot. It was, yeah, it was very, uh, I definitely felt it. Like, you could feel like it was oh, like, yeah. that era. Um, This cast is also full of Oscar people. <laughs> Um, uh, Marion, I think how do you say her name? Cotillard. That... Um, she's an Oscar winner. I don't know for what because I didn't get that far. Um, and Jessica Lang is obviously an Oscar winner. 
And then Albert Finney, Helena Bonham Carter, and Danny DeVito are Oscar nominees. Yeah. It's, I feel like uh, certain directors, Tim Burton being one. Uh, yeah, I just checked up Marion's page and it's definitely a French film that I can't pronounce. But uh, yeah, I feel like certain directors <laughs> that consistently knock it out of the park like that, like the people they usually get to work with, the most of the cast, especially in like a Wes Anderson movie, is like almost all Oscar nominees or winners. Yeah, um, I was. I'm surprised that Ewan McGregor and Steve Buscemi haven't been nominated for stuff, but Buscemi's has Emmys. I, I think believe. so. And Golden Globes, especially for uh, Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, yeah. that was a good show. Um, speaking of Buscemi, the character at one point, which is one of the funniest scenes in the movie, just very casually, <laughs> like robs a bank <laughs> and ends up meeting Ed in there and makes him help him. And it's like, he just does it and he walks out and then there's like no money in the bank because that was just what happened. Um, and immediately when he ran out of the bank, I thought of hey. the Reservoir Dogs when he runs out of the the bank and it but it turns into like a panicked bloody mess. But he does get a very yeah. large profit. Yeah, I, that also did cross my mind too. That's probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Actually, it's just when he just ever so casually robs the bank. Yeah, oh, <laughs> I'm robbing it. <laughs> Fun fact. Um, but in hindsight, it helps. Ed, uh, Ed helps him realize, like, well, I'm, I'm going to go rob people for real. <laughs> I, I love Street, that aspect. So. Because it's like the ideally yeah. like the the same thing, but it's implying that like Wall Street is where you go to like really get away with it. Yeah. Um, did you know that the another cameo in this movie was uh, Sandra's economics professor at college was actually the author of the novel. Oh, that's nifty. I like it when authors like are okay with movies that are made from their books. Because a lot of the times they're not the ones to like write yeah. the script even. So stuff can be... That's why you usually find books are a lot better than the movies. Mm -hmm. I find. But if anybody wants to buy my book, <laughs> you can do whatever you want to it. I'll sell you mine for cheap. <laughs> I'll sell you the rights to make a movie. Yeah. I'll sell it. Right. <laughs> heck yeah speaking Cheat, of uh, scripts um, apparently Burton enjoyed the final version of the script so much like he felt that it was the first unique story he was offered since Beetlejuice and um, also found appeal in the fact that it was a combination of emotional drama with exaggerated tall tales which allowed him to tell various stories and different genres like within the same movie yeah that's cool it definitely is an original oh yeah story so, um i i just have the box office 
numbers and uh what else came out so <laughs> do you have two as more? as it happens yes so um yeah the <laughs> witches makeup for helena bonham carter apparently took about five hours to apply and the bonus fact is she was pregnant during filming so apparently all the fumes from like <laughs> the application process made her really <laughs> nauseous and it was just terrible <laughs> was she pregnant with uh tim burton's I child don't actually know I think we tried looking this up when we did Beetlejuice, like when they got together, and I totally already forgot. <laughs> I already forgot. Um, <laughs> hmm. Yeah, don't know. Don't. Wow. Apparently, she was with <laughs> Kenneth Branagh in the '90s, though. That's an about face. I mean, anybody before Tim Burton is <laughs> that's like true. Opposite, yeah, I would think. yeah and that's all that i have all right so the budget for this is was about 70 million dollars which is what i would expect for a 2003 movie um it has you know there's special effects there's practical effects it's a lot of locations I don't believe it didn't seem like it was done on a lot. Most of it. I know they went to Auburn university or it wasn't Auburn, but it was supposed to be Auburn university. Um, so like I can see where the money went. Um, opening weekend though, it only made, Oh, I just clicked off it. Uh, it only made $207,000, which goes because uh, it was a rough December 14th, 2003. Um, you had the number one that week was Something's Gotta Give. And then Lord of the Rings came out the next week. So people were probably waiting to see Lord of the Rings, especially like not lower income families, but like middle class people that can only maybe afford to go to the movies, you mm-hmm. know, every couple months. You had a, a huge blockbuster coming out. So a lot of people probably just waited. And not just like a, not um, just like a blockbuster, also, it's like the end of the series too. Right. Yeah. Like you knew that that movie was going to just print money. Um, earlier in the year like in the fall season you had the you had freddy versus jason in august uh jeepers creepers in august underworld in september so you had a lot of like horror type movies that came out um kill bill volume one in october the texas chainsaw massacre remake in october and then scary movie three uh, in October, November, and then uh, Matrix Revolutions, which was also the third movie yeah. in a trilogy, yeah. right? That was the third one. And by comparison, The Matrix only made forty-eight million dollars hmm. its opening weekend, 
as opposed to Lord of the Rings, which was seventy two wow. million. You know, it's funny of like you yeah. you rattled off so many horror movies that like it's weird that this was mm -hmm. the one year that Tim Burton didn't make like a real gothic style movie. Yeah. Oh, and actually Terminator <laughs> 3 came out in July. So Look at that. I'm full circle. <laughs> Just like you planned, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I knew all of what I was doing the whole time. Um, it did end up grossing 66 million in the US um and worldwide it did make 123 million. So it was a somewhat success but definitely didn't pull in the numbers that they probably were hoping for. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, do you want to do your <laughs> sure. thumb rating first? Um, yeah, like I said, sure. I, I have a lot of conflicting feelings about this movie, um, only because I'm I'm just not as into the fantastical elements of a lot of like the the father's stories and uh i wasn't exactly sure where the movie was going the whole time and if i'm being honest i was kind of grumpy while i was watching it because my dog woke me up super early and i couldn't get back to sleep so i don't know if that's like casting a shadow over my experience as well but <laughs> i didn't really enjoy the movie as much as i wanted to but then again, at the end, it like made me cry out of nowhere. And so I'm very confused. I want to give like one thumb up and one thumb down at the same time, which like cancels into zero thumbs, which I don't want to do. You can zero. You can do zero if you want. If it's truly if it's truly how you feel. And I, I just by listening to you. Yeah, I I'll say it is. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll try to avoid giving weird ratings but this is like a zero thumb movie for me where i i would say that i feel more neutrally about it than strongly for or against that is completely fair and that is our first uh neutral neutral rating <laughs> i'll take it um so I'm going to just I'm gonna put it in here. It's the first zero. <laughs> zero thumbs. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm, I'm kind of the same way, but this was way more emotional mm. than I thought it would be. Um, I liked it enough. But again, I, I was I'm always on the fence with Tim Burton. Um, we just watched Beetlejuice, and I believe this is our third Tim Burton movie that we've watched. And I would rank this one three out of three. Um, the concept is great. The visuals are, he always has great visuals. Um, but maybe it was, it was the same thing like the story in this. Um, it definitely got me at the end. But like you, I was not, the, I wanted to enjoy the ride more than I did. But I'm still going to give it, one thumb because for me the ending yeah. saved it um so that for me i'm gonna do i'm gonna give it the one but i am i am very neutral. i want to like propose a like if i could change one thing about the movie i think that i might have enjoyed the ride more if 
the um because you get like a lot of stories throughout the movie little like vignettes and i'm thinking like it just would have been probably a more enjoyable ride for me if like the sun was actively trying to like get to the truth of some of those stories like what really happened because i think that only really begins to happen like a little over an hour into the movie and i just thought that was going to be a bigger part of it yeah when he was looking and you got to find like stuff and then like he found or the the mother found the letter that said he was dead and you were like oh there are truths to these stories that he's telling and then the son just like <laughs> he half-assed his research yeah no definitely you know? so um i have to pull up the email because i had clicked out of it so i'm pulling that up right now because i know there's email in there but while that's loading i want to give a shout out to our irish fans um we have based on our spotify data uh three percent of you that listen are from ireland um and you are the second biggest group uh, behind the United States, which is 93%. And uh, I love that. And I, I just want to say thank you. And you should write in. And I love that too. That's uh, funnily enough, yeah. I, I did the 23andMe ancestry thing recently. And it turns out that most of my genetic markers come from, I guess, County Kerry in Ireland, which is like West Ireland, which I thought was really cool. That's awesome. Um, I did Ancestry and um, I am I think it's closer to 70% now um, oh, Welsh nice. and Irish together. So <laughs> you are my people and uh, I would I would love I would love to be over there. Absolutely. One day. Um, when when things are safe to travel because it's not that far. Yeah. To that area Make a i mean stop in there's Iceland. uh flights out of so. the buffalo international airport right to dublin i think yeah so all right my email is being really do you want me to right do you want now, me to tell you a tall tale of the I email i got <laughs> just start yes. making up stuff <laughs> um it's probably because I have like 900 things uh, open right now. Uh, okay. So we got one from Matt B, who um, I believe. I is he the one that requested I think Aaron this? did, yeah. Or was it Aaron? Um, okay. Yeah, Aaron did this one. So Matt B uh, emailed in and he said, Not sure if you'll come across this in your trivia for Big Fish. But Tim Burton also directed the Dumbo remake, side note, which I have not seen and will (laughs) not see because Dumbo makes me sad. Um, And cast Danny DeVito as the ringleader again. He wears the same outfit as in Big Fish. 
I choose to believe it's the same circus, therefore creating a Dumbo <laughs> Big Fish cinematic universe. It's funny because I did catch that. <laughs> I didn't see Dumbo, but I just remember very vividly from the trailer Danny DeVito as the, the ringleader. Yeah, it's... Uh, I will not see Dumbo. And here's another side note. The original Dumbo animated movie by Disney is the shortest... Uh, feature animated movie to be released. It's only a 52 minute runtime. I believe 52 minutes. Um, But also (laughs) it makes me sad and scares me. So (laughs) it it was made for a different audience of a different time when kids were kids that smoked cigars and chewed tobacco and fought in the schoolyard. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah, like scary clown things. So, um, and then we got a movie request from Matt R. And I regret saying anything, but Matt R. says, after hearing Jeff says she's never seen Harry Potter on the latest episode, <laughs> I'd like to request Harry Potter. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. And Matt, we took this as we're just going to watch the <laughs> it, first it one. It makes most so. sense to do it that way. So we put the first one down uh, on the list, and I <laughs> Here's guess the thing. that's just how I'm it's got to be. I'm super interested on your take, so. because like my favorites are way on like the other <laughs> side of that series, like when it gets like really good, and the beginning one, when like they're all really young, is probably my least favorite, so I can only imagine just what you're going to think about it. Yeah. Uh, it's the Sorcerer's Stone, right? That's what it's called. Okay. All right. So that is on the list. Um, that is all for the emails. <laughs> I have a, a bonus fact. So the uh, yeah, the Sorcerer's Stone was the yeah. American title, but when it was originally released in the UK, it was called Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. And I think they changed it because they're like, Americans are dumb and they won't know what we're talking about. And at the same time, I'm like, you know what? Thanks for the clarification. (laughs) I don't feel dumb, but don't prove me wrong. (laughs) Right. Um, All right. So do you. Okay. Are we spinning the wheel this week or no? No, because we are going right into our holiday stuff so we got four christmas movies well technically we got three christmas movies and we're gonna do a little special episode on a new christmas movie that just came out that i love and (laughs) regan loves i made him love it um so we're gonna have an episode on hulu's happiest season which we both just watched um and then we have home alone one Two and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. So those will be our December movies. And then I think that works out perfectly. And then for our New Year's episode, I think we're going to do our top five favorite and our top five least favorite of the movies that we've watched. I think that's yeah, absolutely. Plan is maybe something good like that. Um, and then either for our 30th, uh, or it depends on when it lands, but 
the either the 30th or the 31st or one of those uh, maybe our first episode um, our second episode of the new year I think we're going to try to get um, yeah Matt back on right because Matt is our he's our best episode right now it, well so. he, he's a I, I would say <laughs> a dedicated fan of the show and I I always love talking to him about movies. Yeah. I I think having him as a guest again on the yeah. show is going to be awesome. As long as he doesn't pick uh, Geely again. <laughs> as long as he doesn't I pick think, the obscure we'll okay. sequel to Geely. <laughs> Sounds like really. Oh, boy. <laughs> if you guys haven't heard, yeah. go listen to that. I'm not sure I've ever had movie. so much fun just smack talking a movie before. Yeah, it was uh, it was fun. It was a fun one. So I think that's it for today, for right now anyway. And uh, we will. You can take All us right. out. right. That's it. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. Uh, next week we're going to discuss the 2020 film The Happiest Season, which I mistakenly thought was a Thanksgiving movie because it like dropped on Thanksgiving. So I pitched it to my wife as a Thanksgiving movie and then got super confused when the Christmas trees started coming out. So we're going to be talking about that. Um, Pick for us by us. Remember, you can help select the next movie we watch by emailing the podcast at youpickwewatch at gmail.com or you can message us through Facebook or Twitter at youpickwewatch. Um, you can follow us on social media for updates and just little contests that we might have or trivia. Uh, if you like what you hear, uh, consider giving us a quick little five-star review. It really does help. And now that we have a few on there, the grass is greener. The sun is shinier. It's it's amazing. And thank you guys for doing <laughs> that. I'm Regan. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Author Regan Brooks. And I'm Jess. You can find me on Twitter at RadMadMal. And uh, this has been awesome. And I, I think can't we are entering happiest the happiest season. season. Oh, how about that? Hmm. Timely. <laughs> oh, look at that. <laughs> Keep it real. All right. Thanks, guys. We will.